You know what we haven't done here at Stereo Embers, the podcast, in a really long time? Play live. Yeah. So we thought it was time to get out there. We haven't done anything since before the pandemic. So we thought, you know what? It's time to hit the streets. Well, not really the streets. We're not busking or anything. We're doing a podcast. This was recorded live at Pegasus Books in Berkeley, California. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the live version of the podcast. Check this out. course is the Cocteau Twins with Sea Swallow Me, which by the way, also happens to be the title of the memoir that my guest today on the program wrote. The author I'm talking about is Suki Jones. The book, yeah, I already said it, I know, it's called Sea Swallow Me. Let me tell you a little bit about Suki Jones and Sea Swallow Me. In the dark, harrowing, and gripping memoir Sea Swallow Me, which details a drug addiction that almost killed her. The Bay Area author Suki Jones writes with raw immediacy and refreshing candor about not only being dependent on drugs, but actually keeping that dependency a secret from her family and friends. Set against the backdrop of the Bay Area in the early 90s, Jones balances motherhood and working as a model with deft precision, but behind the scenes, she was falling apart and roaming the night with punk rockers, metalheads, and sometimes even strangers just looking for her next fix. A positively ferocious memoir about broken family history, sexual abuse, and debilitating addiction. Sea Swallow Me vividly wanders through the decade with a fiery resolve, which ultimately reveals how Joan survived when she shouldn't have. Long story short, Sea Swallow Me is one of the best books of 2023. It's a powerful tale of resilience and redemption. So here you go, me and Suki Jones having a chat live in Berkeley at Pegasus Books, right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. for coming tonight. Uh, I'm the event coordinator here. That's why I'm up here talking to you. Um, really looking forward to tonight's reading. Just wanted to sh uh, share a couple of things. Um, so books can be purchased at the register downstairs after the reading for signing. Um, and uh, the bathrooms are behind you. Uh, they're between 
the metaphysics and horror stacks. <laughs> I know, yeah. every time. So I'm just gonna introduce these two and then we'll start. So Suki Jones is a San Francisco Bay Area based freelance writer specializing in addiction and harm reduction. She has worked as a volunteer with the Syringe Access Program at Glide Church San Francisco and is involved in local community outreach. Her writing has appeared in Stereo Embers Magazine and Broke Ass Stewart. She enjoys long hikes to the beach, listening to Susie and the Banshees, Tower of Power, and everything in between. See Swallow Me is her first book. A professor at St. Mary's College of California, Alex Green is the editor-in-chief of Stereo Embers magazine and the host of the weekly program Stereo Embers, the podcast. Past guests on the podcast include everyone from David Duchovny to Bauhaus to Congressman Jackie Speer to Daisy Jones and the sixth author, Taylor Jenkins Reid. The author of six books, including Emergency Anthems and The Heart Goes Boom, Alex has served as a speaker, moderator for Litquake, Yahoo, the Bay Area Book Festival, A Great Good Place for Books, Green Apple Books, Pegasus Books, <laughs> and the St. Mary's College of California MFA Reading Series. I guess now is a good time to tell you you're all on the podcast, so <laughs> thanks to Ian. Yes. Um, so, first of all, congratulations on your first novel. That's a or memoir. <laughs> Beautifully done. Um, can you talk a bit about the gestation period for when you first realized you were going to do this? Because when I first met you years ago, you were making notes in your phone. Remember? <laughs> do you remember? Yes, I do. Yes. Um, at what point did you realize, like, you were going to do this? And how long was it? germinating in your brain before you took pen to paper? Um, I think I was, I have been working on this book for probably 15 years. And um, it was a lot, there were so many notes on my phone and like on napkins and like uh, the little thermal sleeves that go around coffee cups. Like I would just write notes anywhere and everywhere. Um, and it was, it was a long process, just organizing them and um, figuring out, oh, yeah, this, this actually is a book. It's not just, like, notes that I'm writing randomly about different parts of my life. In terms of you've had quite a life. A lot, a lot has happened. Um, in terms of what to put in and what to keep out, was that a difficult decision like what stayed in and what was on the cutting room floor um yeah it was difficult I mean there there's a lot there's a lot that I cut out like last minute where I'm like uh I don't know if that's relevant or maybe that's maybe that's another book entirely so I really tried to kind of pare down this book so that it it read consistently so it seemed like a cohesive story so, yeah, not an easy process. Like, it's really, that was really one of the more difficult parts was, like, editing myself and trying to figure out if, um, you know, what to put in, what not to put in, what's a different story, what would somebody <laughs> want to read. 
And also in terms of difficult subject matter, there's a lot that's quite painful with your early, early life. Um, how hard was that to write about? And also taking it public, you know, this, these sort of like awful incidences of your life um, with your family, um, which is kind of a big deal to sort of out that, that sort of those dark episodes. Yeah. Was that, I mean, it couldn't have been easy, but what was that like in terms of, okay, this is, this is now for people are going to know this. Yeah. Yeah. It was actually really easy. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it was, um, I'm going to scoot up just a little, I feel like I'm too far away. Um, it was, it was really hard. Like it was, it was really a lot to process. Like, um, I've told people like there, there, the first few chapters that, um, are, about my childhood, I had to have serious conversations with my mom about and uh, ask her, you know, questions about like what I remembered and if I was remembering things correctly and in what order, like what was the sequence of events? How did, how did this happen? And, and it was, um, it was really an interesting experience because I got to have conversations with my mom that I wouldn't otherwise have because we, you know, I was talking about things that were painful, not just for me as a child, but were painful for my mom, you know, that she went through. So, um, it was, yeah, that was, that was difficult. It was really difficult to do it. But in hindsight, like looking back on it, I'm like, wow, like I got to have these conversations with my mom about these terrible things that we went through but are here today to talk about like we're here today and we did that like I can I can do difficult things and still survive so it was it was really pretty cool to like have that experience with my mother because in in the book you start writing a diary which is yeah. almost like a like a um you know like the beginnings of what this book actually became and you know, I've been friends for a long time. And I remember one time we were having coffee and you told me that your mom actually read the diary, which is like, yeah. right? Um, yeah. And so now this is sort of like a sanctioned diary that yeah. she can't, but, it, but the subject matter is the, is the same. Yeah. So yeah. isn't it so much better with her reading it as a book with your permission? <laughs> yes. Um, but talk a little bit about what you were doing when you were writing. Was, it, was writing a kind of therapy for you when you were, because you mentioned that you talk about it in the book, how it started. Yeah. I mean, I think um, I've always written, like even before I could write, before I could, before I formed like words, like I would, you know, cause my home was um, chaotic and, and violent. And um, before I could really put that onto paper and write about it, I would write letters and just like make them shaped like I'd have like angrier letters or I'd have like these swirly letters where I had like these super curly cues like attached to my letters like where I got in trouble in kindergarten because the te the teacher like called my mom and was like was like she needs to stop putting these little wheels on her letters like it was like these curly cues on everything and I I don't know if that I mean I'm sure there's some sort of psycho psychological reason I did that um but that was my way of kind of like interpreting what was happening happening in my life and putting it on paper and then as soon as I could put it into like some sort of sentence structure I was writing about it 
And um, that's been my go-to, like, all my life is to just, you know, like, I will, I'll stop, like, I'll be in the shower or at coffee or driving or or in the middle of the night and, and wake up and just think, oh, I have to write that down. Like, I have to write it down right now. Um, so that, yeah, it's been my go-to all my life. And so, it, like, it's a therapeutic, it feels therapeutic to write. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, there's a lot of drugs in this book. What? Um, <laughs> yes. But in the beginning of, of the book, there is this moment where you're pulled over by a police officer. Yes. And you are not sober <laughs> right no and he lets he lets you go <laughs> yeah in fact it was right right over here right over here <laughs> yes and yeah. he, he lets you go yeah and this is in the 90s where the only people who were let go when they weren't sober was like jason kidd john gruden right like sports sports people were yeah. they were let no tourists anyway i'm curious to know why you started there because it feels like a how did you pull that off right yeah. and b he shouldn't have let you go he should not have let right? me go yeah and so tell me why you chose to start that it's in the prologue but why yeah. why there i think well part of it is that it's a talking point for me like it is an acknowledgement that like i got pulled over and i was let go like it was an abs absolutely a matter of privilege like he i was cute and like uh dressed rather scantily and um I mean, I was obviously either, I, if I were a cop, which I wouldn't be, but if I were a cop <laughs> and, as, you know, I pulled somebody over and they were, I mean, I'm, I must have seemed just out of my mind. Like, I, I pulled up onto the island on Shattuck and, and had, had just run a series of red lights and, like, I mean, who let somebody go like that? But, you know, I, he, and, you know, I was just like, I'm, I'm going home. Like, I just got to, I'm going to go home right now. And he let me go, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't the first time or the last time that that happened. And, um, yeah, I don't think it's, I don't think it's luck <laughs> that, 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 that happened that way. Yeah, because he even says to you, like, why is your car on the median? Yes. Like, what are you thinking? Why, why did you park on the median? And I was just like, ah, I'm overwhelmed. Like, I, uh, I'm sorry. You know, like, I just kind of blurted out some excuses. And he was like, all right, like, that's fine. Go, go along your way. You know, I mean, <laughs> which absolutely I should not have, I should not have gotten away with that. And I did. And that was just a string of things that, um, it, like that. You mentioned luck, and I think that, like, I feel lucky to be your friend, and I feel lucky that you're alive, because in many ways you shouldn't be, right? So there is luck involved that you were living really dangerously, mm -hmm. and that you are here tonight is remarkable, and this book proves that, <laughs> right? Um, so my, my question is, is that, like, a lot of people don't get that lucky, right? There's yeah. a lot of people who aren't here to tell this story. Yeah. So... In many ways, this book serves as a reminder that there is a little bit of luck when you're addicted to drugs, and right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but how how did you get so lucky to have like all these near experiences where it could have really taken you down? It almost feels that there's something divine, kind of like looking out for the universe, was kind of keeping you here. Yeah. Um, because there's some really harrowing episodes. Yeah. 
There are, yeah, and I don't, I, I don't have an answer for that. Like I do have, um, I mean a lot, there's, uh, there's people in the book that, uh, you know, are not here today. Like the, you know, like I, I survived and they didn't. And I do have, like, I've struggled with that type of survivor's grief because um, I'm like, well, how did I, like, why me? Like, why did I make it out? Like, why, why did they, why are they not, why am I, why are they not sitting in the AA meeting? Like, how, do, how is it that I get to sit here? Um, because really, I mean, we didn't do anything differently. It's just kind of like, you know, how it played out. So um, there is like just some, for whatever reason, I was able to make it out and I'm grateful that I did. I want to get back to that, but, but I want to just spin back for a second to your childhood. So your father had this kind of obsession with your looks, yes. right? Like yes. with your ears and right. And you write about that and it's, it's a little weird, right? Like why he was so fixated <laughs> on that. It's a little that. weird. It's a little weird. Um, but did that... How did that affect or inform your perception of yourself as a young woman looking in the mirror? Were you seeing what he was seeing? Or how did you not... It must have gotten into your head, obviously. Absolutely. Like, I don't think it's... I don't think it's coincidental that I, like, veered toward, like, acting and modeling. I had a very... Uh, I mean, my my looks were um, something that was like very highly regarded, like it, it, by my dad, um, and that was something else that his mother was very big on. Like she was um, uh, a socialite, and she was like very, and she was like uh, the queen. And this sounds like a joke, and it's not. She was queen of the, my my daughter is laughing. She was queen of the Nile for the Shriners, which is like which is like the queen of the Shriners charity, <laughs> which sounds fake, but it was real. So that was kind of that was the you know, the point that I was supposed to look to for like, you know, like this is how we act and how we behave and how we present ourselves in public. And um, it was something that was really emphasized in my family and like for sure on my dad's side of the family. So um, I don't think that it's accidental at all that like the, uh, that I um, was critical of my own looks and like discerning and um, and that my dad had had that that all that obsession also, along with other a handful of other obsessions. I mean, he yeah. he puts you through a surgery. Yes, at, yeah. at his, as an eight year old. I think I was. Uh, I think I was seven. I think it was between like I, my mom was trying to remember which year it was. I think it was between the year between like the summer that I turned, like I might've been six turning seven that summer, but I was very young. Yeah. I mean, what a thing to, to were, were you ever, I don't know if you remember this, but sort of like, why am I doing this? Like what's yeah, happening? And I, I couldn't question. That was not something that was up for debate. Like if my dad was like, this is what's happening. Like you, I was not able to debate it. That was what was happening. <laughs> so um, yeah, there just wasn't really any choice for me. You know, like I just, did and you know I was aware like that he was crazy like that he was you know like this isn't you know like I started to catch on you know like as I was in elementary school that like oh like other dads aren't um 
aren't like this. Like they're nicer and they're like more, you know, they don't, they don't have the same sort of um, eccentricities or um, temperaments that my dad had. So um, yeah, yeah. What was his own level of vanity? He was very vain, actually. Like, he was a very vain man. So, um, yeah. I mean, I have, I have many characteristics that I'm like, yeah, that's a lot like my dad, you know? Uh, I am vain. I will not, I'm not going to lie about that. I'm one vain <laughs> individual. Um, but, yeah, that's, uh, he was very, like, very, you know, like, conscientious of, like, his hair and... Uh, his sunglasses and he got custom boots and you know like he had like you know he had a look so. early in the book there's a split in your with your parents and your father came from money right and your mother your mother's side was was not of that they right? were poor yeah <laughs> yeah um and so there's a there was this kind of um socioeconomic division which becomes which becomes obviously something you you think about right in the yeah. book um and so there's this division. There's always seems that like there's this division between them. So you must have been very conscious of the tension that was happening between them. And when it finally breaks, um, in terms of your allegiance to your family, and you write about this obviously, but like, yeah. did that did that must have really played with your head? Um, hmm. I don't think I, I. As a child, I didn't really see. I understood that there was a financial difference between my mom's family and my dad's family. Um, I mean, it was so different, like starkly different. Um, but there was also, I think that what caught me more as a kid was how different they acted. Like my mom's family was um, loud and they cursed and, um, you know, they war whatever and they were um just more um cantankerous kind of whereas my dad's family was like proper and like you know like you wore certain outfits to go shopping you wore certain outfits to go to meals you, you know like it was it was just that that contrast that struck me more than like clearly noticing that it was like a financial you know, that one had more money. Like, I, I remember wondering why uh, why my grandparents in California, like, why their house was so much smaller. Like, I remember, because we, we spent a lot of time in California when I was a kid, um, and it just, it, like, it struck me as, like, odd more. Like, that, that it was, you know, that, that it was so different. Like, why is it so different? I don't know. <laughs> There's an odd moment in the book where your your dad does something which is very non-country club, where it looks like he's going to kill your mother. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. Um, and that, that becomes, you know, they say that every memory we have is a memory of the memory, but that seems really clear. Yes. Yeah. Um, that, and he tells you that that's going to happen. Like, mm -hmm. she probably shouldn't be living anymore. Right. right. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that, um, I know it's the cheeriest <laughs> thing to talk about, but, um, you know, but can you just sort of get into what, what was... There's a really happy part in the book <laughs> where you talk about... Yeah. It's near Christmas. Um, <laughs> but that whole episode, like, what was going on there? Um, well, my, da my dad uh, 
was was a heavy drink. Uh, not not just a heavy drinker. He was an alcoholic. Like uh, like sunrise to sundown, my dad drank all day, and. Um, my parents split up several times during my childhood, and I th at one point, what happened was he uh, started dating a woman that had access to a lot of pharmaceuticals, and so he started taking narcotics, <laughs> and lots of them. Um, so I think his own addiction was accelerating, and um, I mean, I don't know exactly what what drugs he was doing, but um, he he definitely became more paranoid. He definitely became more more controlling, and um, I mean, just like much more paranoid. Like parent, like paranoid is like the best word I could use to probably describe like how how that progression like impacted him. Um, so yeah, it was it it was something you know like that I didn't. I didn't understand until uh, until there was, you know, like until he was attempting to kidnap me that that there were drugs involved in, you know, the, to the degree that they were with him. Because the access to the pharmaceuticals, they were also drugging you. Not at that point. Uh, early on, um, he, my my father was blindfolding blindfolding me because he didn't want my mom to know where he was living. So when he would take me, he would be blindfolding me. Um, and that's when he would, you know, he would tell me, you know, he would just say things about like, you know, you're, uh, you're not going to have to worry about your mom anymore. And I'm, I'm going to take care of her and she doesn't deserve to live. And like all the, you know, all these sort of things. And um, so, yeah, he, I was blindfolded typically when he would go on these rants and like usually in the back, it was usually in the car, like in the back seat of the car. And um, the drugs that he started giving me didn't start until uh, after my mother and I had left the state. Mm. Yeah. And the motivation with that was? Um, I, think, I think it was just a kind of, I mean, I'll never know for sure because he's passed away, but um, um, I think it was just to subdue me like so that I wasn't so they could just kind of him and his uh girlfriend could just kind of pull you know have, put their plan into action without any problems from me so there's um there's a moment we're maybe three quarters of the way through the book where your boyfriend is killed yes in a car accident and I keep thinking like I remember reading it, I think, okay, now this is going to be rock bottom here. Um, and it's not. It just keeps, <laughs> right? It just yeah. keeps going, going. And, and, it, and, and I think you mentioned the word accelerate. The, your own decline accelerates, too. Yes. Yeah. But that's not the instant where you hit rock bottom. It, it goes even further. Yeah. Um, I mean, in some ways, like, when I think about it retrospectively, I think that wa it was, that was rock bottom. Um, but I, I didn't, know how to process it so I kept digging farther I just kept I just went deeper below the bottom but I think that really was uh, a pivotal time for me where I um, I knew like I had to change my life and like that things were not going well <laughs> and you know like I I was 
really scared that like uh, that I would die. Like I really was terrified that I would, you know, like that I wouldn't make it through. And then for him to die, it was uh, a very like a slap in the face. Like, hey, like this look, this is happening. Like this is what's happening in your life. And um, so I think that was rock bottom. I think I just I just went below the bottom. <laughs> I just kept going, you know, because I didn't know how to pull myself out. It wasn't until I figured out how to pull myself out that I could even get back up to the bottom, you know, to figure out, oh, like, I, I can get out of this. Knowing what you know now about addiction and recovery and sobriety, and when you reverse engineer and think back to all that you did and all that you consumed and all that you, right, all the chances that you took, um, like through a recovery lens, how do you view yourself in those in those times, like in those early nineties? How do you, if you were to apply that logic or or that new knowledge that you have, like yeah. how do you see yourself? Wow, that's a hard question. Um, that's a hard question. I should have told Alex. you I was going to ask that. Because <laughs> um, uh, I, I mean, it's heartbreaking, right? To it know is what you were going like it's through. heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking because I have remorse about like about you know like my impact on my family and um just you know like ha that i that i couldn't get better sooner it's it's a hard place like like it is uh it's a it's addiction is is a hard thing to overcome like there's no easy way around it they're just it's just not easy um and so when I see somebody that is struggling like I was, like I I have so much compassion for them because I'm I'm I recognize it right away and I can feel it. So I'm just um, I'm like, what was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> because because uh, after the, after the death of, the, of your boyfriend, you're yeah. spinning out of control for yes, a while. Yeah. Um, and and it's so it's so heartbreaking because it's like you're trying to mourn. Yes. Right? Yeah. 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 And, trying and, to mourn, but also trying to like uh, not be dope sick and like and try to like hold my life together somehow. You know, it's like grasping at like you know like little flittering things in the air. Um, tell me a little bit about um, methadone. Like, how was that? Let me tell you about methadone. <laughs> I'm like, what would you like to know? <laughs> All of it. Um, in terms of like when that process started. Yeah. Can you talk about how that was for you? And, and Can I? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'll stop. <laughs> um, yes, I can talk about that. Uh, it was, I really, I think the first time, uh, the, the person that I was dating, um, when they brought up going on the methadone program, I was, I really was just like, well, that's not going to work. Like, that, like, if that works, like, why isn't everybody, why isn't every junkie doing methadone if it works? Um, so I really didn't, I didn't think it would work. Like I was just kind of, like I kind of thought it was like a scam, like that they just wanted my money. You know, I don't know. Like I just didn't, and I didn't know anybody that had ever done methadone. So, you know, like I knew a lot of people that did heroin, but I didn't know anybody that had done methadone or done it successfully. Like I knew people that had done like um, small, like detoxes, like a 20 eight-day detox. Um, but then they, they would be back 
on heroin. So, so I wasn't super hopeful. Like I didn't have a lot of hope, but I was also just like, I don't know what else to do. Like, I don't know what else to do. So, um, so I tried it and, uh, it was, you know, it took a few attempts at doing methadone for it to work. Like it, it, um, because it's a, it was a blind dose and I didn't know how much methadone I was getting, um, like it would be okay for like the first week and I'd be like, okay, like I'm gonna, I'm feeling like I'm doing, it. Is this normal life? Like this, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Like I was trying to kind of figure out how to do life without the use of drugs or alcohol and, um, and then I'd start to be feeling sort of like normal, like what I thought normal felt like. And then my dose would go down and I'd be dope sick. And I'd be like, oh, I can't, I can't do this. You know, I, you know, like, it was just, it, it was a lot. So it took me uh, a long time uh, to figure out like going on and off or, you know, like I would stop doing it after like the first week, I'd just bail on the program. Um, and I had a counselor that was like, hey, why don't you actually do this the way you're supposed to? Like, why don't you actually, you know, like get some, do some counseling, go to some meetings, uh, maybe think about going on maintenance and doing a slower detox so that you can actually have a better chance at recovery. Um, so I did, yeah. And here you are. And here I am, ta-da. Cool. We, um, before Suki signs books, if you'd like her to, we have time for a question or two, if you want to ask. I have a question. Suki, you're a fantastic writer, and you've been working on that book for a real long time. Uh, what's next? Do you plan, do you have another uh, book in, in the works yet, or uh, any ideas of what's next for you? Totally another book in the works, and I'm trying to figure out... Um, which way I want to go with it. Like if I want to do sort of like a, a take on like parenting, trying like balancing like parenting with um, recovery or, um, yeah, I'm not sure where I want to, which avenue. I'm kind of waiting to see like feedback wise, like what things in the book people are really into and then kind of run with that. Other questions at all? Okay, so, so, yeah. Um, I don't know. I think I just always read, I always wrote and I always read. Like I always, like reading, reading was an escape for me and so was writing. So I think um, it's just always been like a, a good creative outlet for me. And I feel, um, like exhilarated when I finish doing something writing related. So that's a good sign. A question. Have you thought about writing fiction? Um, not, not real, not real. I mean, I have thought about it, but I, uh, it's not like my, it's, I'm not comfortable in it. So yeah, I think like for me, like writing my own experience is, um, more like my wheelhouse. <laughs> yeah. In the back, yeah. A question I definitely don't know the answer to. Um, how did you come to 
Oh, well, you do know the answer to part of that. Okay. Okay, so um, I, for the longest time, I just called this, I called it fever bleeding. That's what I called it, just because it was like this release. Like, it was like, I mean, that's how I referred to it for for a very long time. I was like, oh, fever bleeding, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, it doesn't really, like, what is fever bleeding? Like, that doesn't make sense. Like, it was just like some sort of, um, re like, it was like a release for me, and that's just kind of like what I called it. Um, but when I was actually trying to come up with a, a title that, like, people would, like, understand, <laughs> I think I was, I think I was with you at Pete's Coffee, mm -hmm. and I was like, I think I, I think what I said was, I wish I could just call it Sea Swallow Me, and Alex was like, why can't you? <laughs> Wasn't that how it went yeah. down? Yeah, and I was like, can I do that? And he was like, sure, <laughs> so. Of course, so it was up for debate because because it's the name of a of a song, song. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but but you can't title. You could you could call it Thriller or Hotel California if you. Which want. might be my next book. <laughs> Hotel California <laughs> will be the next one. Um, I do want to thank everyone Thriller for coming. Thriller at Hotel California. <laughs> and thank you for supporting your local indie bookstore. Do buy a book and support Suki and the store. Um, but thank you again for coming out tonight some kind of sporting event. I'm glad you guys ignored it. Does um, anyone know the score? But we're very grateful. So thank you to all of you. Thank you very much. And you're going to sign up here? I'm going to sign wherever you'd like me to sign. If you have a book, I will sign it. There you go. We got the band back together. We played live again. It was fun, wasn't it? Suki Jones, Sea Swallow Me is the name of the book. Get it. It's a memoir about addiction and recovery, and it is a stunner. You can follow Suki on Instagram. Her handle is Suki underscore Jones. Follow her. She's a great follow and also a great memist. I think she is one of the uh, meanest memists I've ever come across. Check her out. She Mean in the sense that cool, not mean like she's mean. Don't misinterpret me. Uh, I am Alex Green. This is Stary Wembers, the podcast. You can always follow our program on social media. Are we active there? Well, we are. As active as we should be? Well, maybe not. Follow us on Instagram at Embers Podcast or on Twitter at Embers Editor or just email me, editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. BombshellRadio.com is where you should go to find out what makes our radio station tick. And don't forget, Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, rate, and review, and tell every single person in the world that you know we would appreciate it. Let's close the show with a longer listen to See Swallow Me and do pick up Suki's book. You're going to love it. Enjoy yourself and have a great week right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast only on Bombshell Radio.